It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Do you remember the tune? Certainly you remember the words. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, all on a sesame seed bun. That's right, the infamous Big Mac. Now, whatever your thoughts on the nutritional value of a Big Mac may be, a study was done a few years ago called The Big Mac and the Ten Commandments. Now, I won't ask how many of you have eaten a Big Mac in the last week, but that little jingle has stuck in the mind of millions for many years. You know, the sad thing is that I haven't eaten a Big Mac in a long, long time. Yet I'm able to think of those ingredients with relative ease. And here's the amazing thing. The survey that they took shows that more people can name the seven ingredients in a McDonald's Big Mac than the Ten Commandments. Prepare for yourself to be shocked. They surveyed a thousand people and it showed that 80% of the people could name the sandwich's primary ingredient of two all beef patties. But less than 60% of people recalled the commandment, thou shall not kill. Let that sink in for just a moment. They found 45% could recall the commandment, honor your father and mother, while 76% of the people remembered the Big Mac ingredient, lettuce. 75% knew the sesame seed bun. 66% knew special sauce. 62% knew pickles. 60% knew cheese. But don't miss the point. All of those ingredients are more than the people who could recall honor your father and mother is a commandment. It is remarkable that in this day and age, more people know that there are pickles on a Big Mac than the commandment thou shalt not kill. What is happening in our society? A society where more people know that a sesame seed bun is part of the ingredients of a sandwich from the golden arches than the commandment honor your father and mother. What is happening in our society? You see something. Something is going on in our society. We read the newspaper. We watch the news. We read the internet. Lines are being blurred and moral standards which were once rock solid are seemingly non-existent. It seems that our society has turned its back on God's moral standards. If we look into the world of entertainment, we find competing values. Many studies have been done on this. In fact, the average 18-year-old, and I want this to sink in, the average 18-year-old has witnessed over 200,000 violent acts on television and in the movies. That includes 40,000 murders. What does that do to a person's mindset when they witness violent acts and murders of those magnitudes? It has desensitized our society. And what we're seeing and that the research reveals is the biblical reality that by beholding, we become changed. After you witness violent act after violent act, murder after murder, it becomes much easier to pull the trigger. 
I'll never forget when I was in high school, when I received news in my 11th grade year that one of my classmates had been sitting in the back of a car and someone approached their car. Not sure exactly what happened, but his hat was probably turned just the wrong way. His shirt happened to be the wrong color. His pants happened to be rolled up on one side. And that day, it was the wrong side. And that classmate of mine pulled out a gun and killed that young man. Later, he went to trial and was found guilty and was sentenced to 65 years in prison. When you think about it, this is what's happening in society. It's becoming easier to pull the trigger because if we're pulling the trigger in video games, how much easier is it? If we're playing video games that are focused with one primary goal, and that is how many people can you kill? Well, it becomes much easier to do it in real life. Children who identify with aggressive TV characters and perceive the violence to be realistic are more at risk for later aggression in their life, according to the American Psychological Association. In 2013, the Youth Risk Behavior Survey found this among high school students. During the past 30 days, 35% of high school students have drank alcohol. Now, I would remind you, in high school, you're under the age of 18. 21% involved themselves in some type of binge drinking. 10% drove while drinking alcohol. 22% rode in the car with someone who had been drinking alcohol. You see, it's starting younger and younger and younger. Last year, I went to Nunavut. And in Nunavut, we are doing a special project to bring Bibles in Inuktitut, the language of the Inuit people, and we're also working on building community centers where churches can meet and be used on a daily basis. However, while I was there, I met a young person. A young person, eight years old. Young people, nine years old. And this young man who was eight years old, the first question he asked me, the first question he asked a friend of mine was this. Not what's your name, not where are you from. The first question he asked is, do you use drugs? Friends, why did he ask me that question? Because he lived in a home where his parents were doing drugs, drugs that were obtained from outside workers coming in who were bringing, bringing them when they came to work. Then the parents would buy the drugs. They'd have no money for food. Then the children could not eat, and then the children would steal their parents' drugs. So you have eight-year-olds, this eight-year-old in particular, who was smoking marijuana on a regular basis. You see, it's becoming younger and younger. Our society seems to be in decay. One third of teenagers report that they have used some type of illicit drug at some point in their lives. In fact, according to some statistics, 57% of all men, 54% of all women report that they have been involved in some type of marital infidelity. A more disturbing statistic is this. When asked the question, would you have an affair if you never got caught? 74% of men and 68% of women said they would have that affair. What's happening in our society? What's going on? There is moral decay throughout. In fact, pornography is rampant. When I was studying in my master's program, I had to preach during a class on the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And as I was in that preaching class and 
preparing to preach, I wanted to make this class and this sermon particularly relevant because I would be preaching to preachers. So I started doing research and the research indicates that anywhere between 45 and 55% of all pastors have some form of pornographic material on their computers. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not trying to denigrate pastors, but it is to demonstrate the challenge we are facing in the eroding moral situation in this society. You see, Proverbs 28, 26 gives this little snippet, but it's a powerful snippet. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Hosea, in fact, says this, they sow the wind, they reap the whirlwind. That's what's happening in our society. We see it all around us. But today, we will look because this is not what God intended. We will look to heaven. You see, the Jerusalem factor is all about turning our eyes upward toward heaven and looking to the new Jerusalem, to that tabernacle made by God and not by man and seeking to find answers for the ever-quickening moral decay in our society. So let's step back in time. Over 3,000 years ago, God wrote some things in stone that if applied to the society of Canada, to the society of North America, in fact, to the society all around the world, that would make a marked difference in what is happening today. You see, the book of Psalms in Psalm 111, verses 7 and 9, give us clear counsel when it says these words. The works of his hand are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever. How long did it say? Forever and ever. This is a powerful statement. You see, God wrote his precepts, and that's another word for laws or regulations. He wrote them that they would stand forever. But it's interesting. God's law is under attack. But you know, it's very interesting. The book of Daniel actually predicted that that is exactly what would happen. And so we see it happening in society today because there's an entity working to actually tear down the law of God. We've read about it before, but if you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 7 tells us about this entity. Daniel chapter 7 and in verse 25, he speaking of the little horn religio-political power, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Whose law is he trying to change? God's law. So now we have this entity that's actually trying to change the law. And additionally, in, in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 25, this little horn power is doing all he can to undermine the governance of God. This is what it says. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his art. He shall destroy many in their prosperity, and he shall even rise against the prince of princes. Now, who is this prince of princes? It is Jesus Christ himself. But then... In a fascinating twist, 
When you go to Daniel chapter 11, this same little horn power is at work once again, and it says that he shall turn in rage against the Holy Covenant. Whose covenant is the Holy Covenant? That is God's covenant. Daniel told us that at the end of time, this little horn power would rise in the judgment hour that this little horn power would actually work to change the law. He would actually work to change God's law. He would actually work against the very name of God. So why is all this important? Other than the obvious reason of the fact that the law of God is the law of God and cannot be changed, the book of Revelation says something very interesting about those who will be on the earth during the time of the end. In Revelation chapter 12 and in verse 17, it speaks of the key for God's people. It speaks of a dragon. Who is the dragon? It is Satan. And the Bible says that he was enraged with the woman. The Bible prophecy, a woman, represents the church. And then the Bible goes on to say that he went to make war with her saints, the rest of her offspring, the remaining ones, so to speak. Now, if you're reading from the King James Version, it will say the remnant of her seed. What is this talking about? It is speaking of those who are God's people, those that are left over, that look like the original intention of God's people. And how are they defined? Revelation 12, 17 says this, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, the book of Daniel talks about the law of God being attacked. The book of Revelation says that God's people at the end of time will be keepers of the commandments of God. And this is not just one isolated verse. In fact, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12 says this, here is the patience. Now that word patience could be translated the endurance here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I don't want you to miss the point of these verses. They are two different verses that describe what God's end time people look like. Those who are on the earth, those who are faithful to God, those who are awaiting the return of Jesus. Both of these verses say they will be keeping the commandments. And here's the amazing thing about the Ten Commandments. Even though the Ten Commandments were written sometime about 3,500 years ago, the Ten Commandments speak with relevance and meaning to the 21st century. Now let me clarify what I just said. God wrote it in stone and gave it to Moses 3,500 years ago. But we're going to see in our study that God's law has not existed for only 3,500 years ago. In fact, the Bible says that God's law is eternal. But when we look at these commandments, I want to ask a question. What would happen in our society today? What would happen, and let's not make it so big, but what would happen in cities like Calgary or Toronto, in St. John's or Vancouver, in Edmonton, in Halifax? What would happen all across Canada if no one placed any other God before the God of heaven? Now, I want to be very, very clear in what I'm saying. I'm not talking about forced or legislated religion. 
But what if people placed God first in their life? What would happen? What would happen if we lived in a society where people did not worship idols? And by the way, when I speak of worshiping idols, don't say in your mind, oh, I don't have any statues in my house. You see, idols can be more than just a carved statue. It can be worshiping people. It can be worshiping events. It can be worshiping things and caring about those things more than we do about God. What would happen in our society if the name of God was never taken in vain? You know, I travel quite a bit and I spend a lot of time in airports and I'll never forget, not too long ago we were traveling and at the same time we were sitting in the lounge waiting for our airplane. There was a man sitting across from me and I want to be clear, I'm not being judgmental of this man, simply making an observation, but literally, not figuratively, literally, every other word out of his mouth was a foul word. I just sat there and I said, you know, I think I'm going to turn on my phone and I'm going to record him. And then when it's real quiet, I'm going to play it back really loud so he can hear what he sounds like. Now, I didn't do that because I value my safety. But imagine, imagine what a society would be like that had clean language. What would happen? What would happen in a society that's overburdened, overstressed, and full of people who are suffering from anxiety? What would happen to a group of people that would remember what God said, that we should have one day that is completely dedicated to God for rest in Him. What would happen in a society if children honored their father and mother? And by the way, let me expand upon that just slightly. What would happen in a society that children honored their father and mother because their father and mother were honorable? Now, by the way, that's not a condition of the commandment, but what would happen? What would happen in a society where no one killed each other? I'm going to tell you what would happen in a society like that. Every news outlet would go out of business. What would happen in a society where there was no adultery? Where there was no adultery, no infidelity ever? What would happen in a society where no one stole anything? Where everyone honored the realities of ownership? What would happen in a society where no one lied? No one bore false witness against their neighbor? What would happen in a society like that? What would happen in a society where no one coveted other people's things? Now I'm going to hit the pause button for just a moment because I want to make it very clear. And I want to be very clear what I'm about to say. I believe in God. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. But here's what I want to ask for the skeptic who may have come across this show, who may be listening or watching right now. Here's my question. Even if God did not exist, tell me that God's laws would not make society a better place. Imagine for a moment, which I don't believe, but imagine for a moment that God didn't exist. Imagine for a moment that the entirety of the Bible, which I do not believe, but imagine it all was just a story, a fairy tale, which again, I want to be clear, I don't believe that, but imagine for a moment it was. But I want you to imagine that each of us lived our lives in accordance with the Ten Commandments of this book. And then we got to the end of our life and found out that Jesus really wasn't coming again. Would we be worse for the wear to live in such a way? But here's the beauty of it all. God does exist. Jesus is coming soon. And Jesus is coming to set up a kingdom that looks 
like that, like those Ten Commandments. It's a beautiful thing, you see. God's law is the very foundation of His throne. It's the foundation of His governance. And God's law is eternal. It is the eternal moral standard which defines sin and establishes our accountability to God. That, my friends, is the Jerusalem factor. There exists an unchangeable moral standard for all time. So I want you to notice now, we're going to try to understand why the law exists. Because there is a lot of discussion in Christianity about the law of God, with many Christians choosing to ignore the law of God. But 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 is quite clear. 1 John chapter 3 and beginning in verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Other versions say that sin is the transgression of the law. You see, sin is defined by God's law. Sin is when we break God's law. How do we identify sin? How do we know what sin is? It is God's law that defines it for us. The beauty of that is this. There's no floating definition of what sin is. So there's really no way for us to have a relativistic approach to moral living, a what sin for you is sin for you and may not be sin for me. No, no, no. What God's law says is this. What is sin is sin. And the great beauty of God's law, because when you talk about God's law, some preachers will say that's very restrictive. But the beauty of God's law is that it is the pathway to freedom, the pathway to genuine happiness. The book of James records these words. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Do you want true freedom? Are you looking for liberty from those things that bind you down? The Bible is clear. Come to Jesus. He is the one who authored the Ten Commandments, a moral standard of living that leads to freedom and liberty. He gives us the enabling strength to abide by His Word. There's more to say about God's law and the Jerusalem factor, but we are all out of time today. Friend, let us cling to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who has given us a standard to live by. Take my life, let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow with ceaseless praise, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Swift and beauty.
My dear friends, much of Christianity has been confused on the role of God's law. Today I want to offer you a little booklet called Does God's Grace Blot Out the Law? It will help you understand more about this law of liberty. Here's the information you need to receive today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call any time. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. And thank you for your prayer requests and your generous financial support.
That's It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. My dear friend, God has, as the foundation of his government, a law of liberty, a law that gives you freedom from sin, that you might walk in his ways. I hope today you found freedom in Jesus. I'd invite you to join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.